Nikki. Hey, Selena. And hello, everyone. Or y'all. <coughs> <laughs> you usually say hello, everyone, and I say, hey, y'all. Is that what happens? That's usually what happens. I don't know. Welcome to Sweet Tea and TV. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> the place where the memory is spotty. Um, but we are at season five. And so before we launch in, I just want to take a minute to... Let that sink in for you. Yeah. Or did you think it was season 25 already? <laughs> I've been looking through this season, realizing how much fewer episodes there are than last season, which is a check mark in my book. Uh, yes. So that's nice. Uh, but yeah, it is crazy to me that we have done, this will be our fifth season of this. That's a lot of designing women. It's a lot of designing women. And it's a, uh, it's a lot of time with headphones on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a lot of time uh, with you and me hanging out in my closet. A lot of time editing episodes behind the computer. A lot of time doing social media. (laughs) A lot of time. I don't know. I ran out of things. (laughs) Drinking caffeine. That's true. And you know what, y'all? It's a lot of time thinking about how maybe, just maybe, despite our seven complaints right there. That complaints. Those were facts, Selena. Facts. Notable facts. um, That we do it for you. And for us. And for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Because we are nothing if not selfish and giving. (laughs) We are all the things. Complex. We're complex human beings. Yeah. So we're going to launch into season five. But real quick, I just wanted to share some housekeeping notes, if that's okay. As long as you're pointing the entire way. I'm pointing the entire way. Make sure I know where to go. I... So we just did re-release or re-air September, whatever you like. And basically we were, show. in case you missed that, we were showcasing some of our favorite episodes from seasons one through four. And then also some of our favorite extra sugars from this last season. And, uh, you know, we were doing this for a few reasons, but one is that we were hopeful that new listeners it was a way to introduce them to some of the earlier things that we've done and make sure they know that like if they're just getting here and it's season four or five that they're able to go back and listen to our thoughts and um maybe chat with us online if they want to about some of those older episodes that we've already done do you see this look on my face of like why did we do that selena remind me oh is that what's happening I thought it was like, Mm. shut up, Selena. Why are you going on and on? (laughs) You said the reason we did that. And I was like, why did we do that? If not to bridge. I think this one will spark your memory because the other reason we did it is so we could take a breath. That one. That one. That's the one I remember. Yeah. And so this is um, our opportunity, really. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and speak for Nikki here because I do think she will totally agree with me on this. Let's see about that. To say, and that's true, to say thank you. For yeah. allowing us to take that pause. I Trust agree. me, there was still work there. Mm-hmm. Somehow there was still work. But it did give us a chance to catch our breath before we head into this next season. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. If there wasn't new content in that for you, uh, we appreciate your patience. And we triply appreciate your patience if you're a Patreon. So, um, in fact, Nikki especially has been thinking of some additional ways to give y'all some good exclusive content this season. Um, and as always, I think we're trying to poke around for opportunities, but you know, um, we love our Patreons. We're so grateful to them. We love everyone, but we especially love our Patreons. Yes. We especially love our Patreons because for some reason they want to support us in additional ways. (laughs) And you know what? We're super grateful. We're grateful for it. Yeah. So anyway, so we're looking, um, so I am looking forward to some of the additional things that we uh, may be able to accomplish over this season. 
We've also stayed really active on social media the whole time. So that's a great way to stay in touch with us. And we definitely encourage you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You could be the 28th person there. Um, (laughs) Is there a prize? We're not as active on YouTube, but you can get all of our episodes there. That one really pushes the boundaries of like what I'm familiar with and what Uh I'm comfortable with because it's video by default. And I genuinely try to stay off camera, just in all instances. So YouTube's a tough one for me. I love it. (laughs) Personally, it's my favorite. I just, sometimes I'm like, just set up some cameras everywhere. (laughs) Because I just, like, I never look at a picture or video of myself and go, who the hell is that? (laughs) Never. Where did those gray hairs come from? Never does that happen. Is my nose always set at that angle? It's too uh, much for me. Is it, well, so I, well, it's the mirroring that really screws me up because I'm used to seeing my asymmetrical face the other the way. The other way. And so when I see it the way that everyone else does, I'm like, what is happening? It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm 38. I know how I look. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, leave us, please, dear heaven and stars. <laughs> I'm like about to get down on bended knee. Please leave us a five-star rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, that helps other people find us, which is quite frankly critical to that age-old fantasy of quitting your day job and doing something that you love. So I'm just going to throw that out there for your consideration. <laughs> Somewhere between. We're the ugliest trolls you've ever seen. We well, hate that's video. Why we're, off- we're old <laughs> and we desperately need your support. If you're a new listener, you're just getting the real flavor. For that's us. why we're audio. <laughs> that is our gift to the world. Um, so, season five, Dickie? Season five, Selena. We are at season five, episode one. For a split second, I forgot what episode number we were on. It is just the first. This one is called. (laughs) I've talked about my looks and my age. I'm out. (laughs) Put Selena through the ringer and we're barely even in season five. All right. Season five, episode one, a blast from the past. The um, designing women online description. Now, does this mean, Selena, that Hulu and IMDb just were not cutting it this time? I'm pretty sure they failed me, but it's, it's been a while since I pulled this together. So I don't know. IMDb Hulu, take note. Designing Women Online says, Mary Jo is reminded of a promise to marry a platonic friend if they are both still single at 35. Julia discovers that the Sugar Baker's house was built on the foundation of a Civil War home and has it added to the tour of historical homes until the tour takes over her home. The air date one on this one is September 17th, 1990. So we are almost perfectly on cycle this season. September 17th. Oh, yeah. We're close to September 17th today. So this will be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy fall, y'all. Uh, we're calling this one Mary Jo Gets Engaged, and it's written by Pam Norris and directed by David Trainer. So we usually do this general, just <laughs> a reminder, Selena, we usually do general reactions and stray observations. Do you have a general reaction you want to start with? Well, I do, but it's not necessarily about this episode. I think it's just like... We're off to a great start. Uh-huh. It's about like season five in general, but it is the thing that hit me as a like, um, as a like, we were sitting down and doing our preview of the season and I queued this up and I was kind of um, somewhere between a little sad and bittersweet 
because I know we have a finite amount of time left with Suzanne and Charlene or mm. Delta Burke and Jean Smart. And for us, <clears throat> we don't know what we're doing after this season mm-hmm. for sure. So, yeah, I'm having feelings, anxiety. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, like, not really, though. But, like, like a, a pinch. But, like, you know, it's just sad. It's, it's going to be sad to see him i'm not here anymore maybe i've compartmentalized my feelings on that or maybe i'm excited for what the future could hold because this has been a lot of designing women and it's it's a great show there's a lot of great chemistry between between this cast but i'm kind of excited at the thought of potentially meeting new characters on designing women or meeting new characters somewhere else so i haven't really processed it that way yeah and usually i do i'm a very sentimental like sort of sad sally kind of gal I was and when and we're obviously a long time from here and it's no spoiler that Suzanne is leaving but the very last shot of her like in the very last episode I, of the I haven't season, seen it I almost cried I haven't seen it yet uh, I yeah. still have like three episodes left in the season Nikki's so that may be why still previewing yes yeah man I got things uh <laughs> I could come up with excuses but I don't have any good ones uh that may be why I think I'm also sort of uh, in all seriousness, I think I'm kind of like spreading it out a little bit because once it's once it's done, it's done. And mm-hmm. that is where Sad Sally comes into play. Yeah. I get emotional about it. Sad so Selena. maybe that's why I'm not having that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hear you. What maybe your... I'll watch that one in real time. Maybe I won't even preview that one. Oh, oh. oh, okay. oh okay. that would be interesting. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah, and then you. I wouldn't have I to watch it for a couple months. For anyone else, but it would totally be interesting. <laughs> it's like when I watch... um. Gilmore Girls. Mm. I usually skip the last few episodes. I've seen that show of on the series. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Or um, King of Queens. I haven't watched the last season of King of Queens in a really long time. One because it's not my favorite, but also because it makes me sad. So I tend to avoid the last few episodes. There's one show. One show that I love, like the middle or something like that, where I still haven't seen the final episodes because I just refuse. Maybe Modern mm-hmm. Family. I just sort of refuse. Yeah, because then it's over. I have. Yeah, it's so funny. I have a friend that does, oh, well, let's just go ahead and pull this Band-Aid off. We have a Patreon, and she does the same thing, and her name's Alyssa. Mm. And, like, you know, my friend Sarah is often complaining because of Alyssa's love for not letting a show go. They There's, like, a string of shows. Like Alyssa gets it. She doesn't know, like, she never knows the end of shows, <laughs> which can be quite different. <laughs> Game of Thrones, anyone? I mean, if you just watch the first couple seasons and you don't tune back in, I got some shocks for you. You missed you know? some things. Yeah. I, th- I appreciate that about Alyssa. Yeah. I, she gets it. She gets it. Well, all of my general reactions are so superficial compared to that, Selena. Oh, I'm getting there. Okay. So yeah. give me some superficial so I don't feel so... Everything else that was like a general reaction for me, I have to say, was about Mary Jo and Daryl. Mm. Okay. So for me... Their body language and the chemistry between Annie Potts and the guy who plays him, Christopher uh, Tabori, sorry, Christopher, I'm not getting your name right, read more intimate than platonic to me. Oh. So, uh, which I thought was working against this whole, oh, Lord, if only we were attracted to one another, then we could be together, you know, but they're like cuddling on the couch. They're all like wrapped up with each other and like very affectionate. And I just have to say from a personal standpoint, like growing up in middle school, high school, into my early 20s, I usually had like a best guy friend. And I can tell you one thing, we weren't often cuddling. And if we were, we weren't just friends anymore. You know what I'm saying? So that kind of threw me off a little bit. 
there were some cut lines that I think could have like helped with that, including like maybe them trying to kiss. So, and I think if maybe we had seen that, it well either I would have thought these two are on fire, right. or I would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, there's nothing there. But they took that away, and so now we'll never know. <laughs> if that, only we'd watch the DVDs. Is that better? Well, yeah, and you've stolen, like, three of my points throughout the episode because number one general reaction about that plot line is that was such an awkward plot line. I can't. Everything about it just gave me the skeebie-heebies. It was partly because they were overly intimate, which is a really great observation, uh, because I hate this idea of, like, saying women and men can't just be friends, which feels like what the takeaway is here by me giving this feedback. Like, oh, they can't just be friends. They're so – but also the way that it was played up in the episode – gives that vibe like mm-hmm. they can't just be friends they have to be cuddly on the couch or whatever right I just didn't, yeah and it was just an awkward in general plot line it's a bump point like you're just bumping on it oh mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like what is a bump point? i made it up perfect got it yeah i'm just bumping on it yeah yeah i like that um so yeah that was one of my general reactions i also think anthony's reaction to the women's lack of understanding about why the antebellum period may be a bit awkward for him mm-hmm. That to me was another, as I'm watching the episode, it's very challenging for me to disentangle the women's naivete around that and Anthony mm-hmm. and his reaction to it all. They were just so. Luckily, he got the best lines of the episode. For sure. Um, for and sure. so I think that helped. And that's all. Um, we can unpack those That's in, if we want to. That's in my likes for sure, because uh, I agree with you. And it's now this, it usually it's almost like you kind of see it on their faces mm-hmm. once he says something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the romanticizing of that is something now, alarming. I don't know. Alar- alarming and also I think just disingenuous so yeah, we'll get to this fair. later I think in the season uh, when we talk about World War II era again and how we romanticize that um, so I'll just stop here to say I think it's disingenuous that they would never have a stop moment where they like wait Anthony help us understand your perspective what are we not getting right here because I think I think they they would be inclined to do that. And we just skip right over it by giving Anthony some funny lines by making it a a humor moment instead of an educational moment. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't love that, but I loved his reaction for sure. Yeah. He's hilarious as always. Um, I mean, it's hard, right? Because you have 22 minutes. um, So that might be their way of, or like it's 22 minutes and we're at 1990. So I think that's like, the best way they could think of to handle it at the time. It feels very of the times. I agree that, well, first of all, I don't even think they would touch this plot line with a 10 foot pole now, to be honest. But if they did, I think it would be much more from Anthony's perspective because of like the fact that all of the obvious things about why we should not romanticize antebellum period. Yeah. It's just odd to me. We've spent quite a bit of time on world war two. Mm-hmm. In a southern show, and very little time talking about the truths of the antebellum period. Is I'm going to ask this, and you're going to look at me and say, "Why are you asking me this question?" But I think that's an LBT thing. Doesn't she have some sort of like love for World War Two? Why are you stuff? asking me this? I know. This is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you but may I be know. right, and I, I just yeah. as I was, it's a, it's a bump point for me. <laughs> as I was watching this, I was thinking, "Huh, it's funny," but like, did we give that the full? attention that it probably deserved yeah. no because we were watching mary joe and her hoop skirt weird best friend oh. cuddle on the couch 
That too. <laughs> ah, that too. Yes. And we were getting Charlene's Yiddish sprinkled throughout the episode. I like that. Um, Do you know my Mohel story? No, but I would like to know it if you want to share it. <laughs> oh, so there's this TikTok trend um, where what is a word that you learned is pronounced differently, embarrassingly late in your life? And oh, I just boy. saw one of these yeah. videos yesterday about wine. This woman thought the wine was pronounced um, chalable. And she didn't know anything about wine, obviously, but she thought it was pronounced chalable. So she told all her friends, oh, I found this wine I love. It's called chalable. And they were like, I've never heard of that. And she like leaned in and she was like, no, it's chalable. She found out a couple years later, it's actually chillable, not chalable. I didn't even know. I was like, even if she, <laughs> no matter what she's talking about, I think there's also like a not understanding of what she's reading, <laughs> period. Yeah, so okay. I have to say, uh, a couple years into working, I was yeah. working on something. Uh, I not bet any, you I know what it is, but go on. Not much context to offer except yeah. the word um, mohel, M-O-H-E-L, yeah. showed up. And I very confidently in a meeting said, mohel. Yeah, it's moil. Yeah. <laughs> it's moil. And I learned that later and I remain embarrassed about it. But because I am... Humble, I will own that I made that mistake and I learned from it and I'm still embarrassed. I, I have one too and it just happened a couple of years ago and I'm having a total brain fart and I guarantee you my friends know, oh, I know what it is. What is it? It's a rye. A rye? Mm-hmm. Ari? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. tough. Mm. Tough like a kick in the shin in the face. And honestly, I use awry. I thought they were two slightly different shades of the same thing. Like, but one is like a little bit more intense. I can't even. But I felt really good when I was listening to another podcast about um, West Wing. And a guy who used to be on West Wing did the same thing. And we both figured it out at like the same age. English is really hard. These words, Kyle as a child thought the word chaos, C-H-A-O-S. He thought it was chachos. Oh. His mind even like added extra letters. Yeah, something's happening there. I played a computer game when I was a kid. The girl's name was Penelope. I thought it was Penelope until I was like 12. I thought the name Penelope was Penelope. That's not, well, that's like French, right? Penelope? Yeah. I don't know. So Maybe. all this, anytime you hear like a beautiful word, it's usually not English, honestly, or well, it's not derived. Wow. It's not derived it's from English because everything is like, it's why it was the, is, was the language of science. Cause everything is very succinct. Um, and other languages are flowery and whatever. So. Well, I just try to add a little flower to everything. That's nice. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. Well, so anyways, I wanted to share the awry with you because I thank you. I didn't want you to be sitting over there alone. I really appreciate that. that. I'm so, so embarrassed. We'll be together on that, especially since it was in a meeting. God bless you. We go down together. And like with gusto. Yeah. Like I thought I was really culturally sensitive on that one. I was, well, you were trying. We're all trying. We're all trying. That's, that's the bottom line here. Speaking of trying and failing, timeline Speaking of things we bumped on, mm. I did. Timeline of Daryl and... Mary uh, Jo? Yeah. That just didn't make any sense to me. So, like, being friends as young adults in Atlanta? At 27, when she was probably still married. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't so, think too hard about it. And I was sitting there, and I was like, what? And I'm not going to go into... I don't have to go into all the specifics. Could you imagine her being married to Ted and cuddling up next to Daryl on the couch? Her BFF? I think that would be fair. <laughs> but, yeah, but only if it was sexual. 
because <laughs> Ted was stepping out That's on her true. all the time. That's true. But for me, I was just going to say in terms of like, um, and I guess we could file this under strays, but I was going to say it's like an Anthony's grandma situation. Is she in Alabama? Is oh, she right. in Macon? Is she in Tennessee? And what we, I think what we can take away from this is like, maybe the show didn't care. <laughs> Like yeah, that didn't really some matter. Of these details. It's somewhere over here. It's like whatever's helpful for us in the moment. And they never thought we'd watch it like this. That's right. They never do. That's, tr- that's right. Speaking of strays, do we just want to hop skedaddle on into that? Skedaddle. Yeah. I think the only thing I had to add here was some of the cut lines that you uh, alluded to. So we had some cut lines from Anthony mm-hmm. um, when Charlene says the antebellum period was neat. Anthony says, oh, yes, how I long for those days to return. Uh, They cut some lines. uh, They say, really? He says, yes, the fun of working in the field with 600 of my closest friends, us rattling our chains rhythmically to one of those wonderful old spirituals. That's nice, Anthony. I didn't know you felt that way. So there was even a little bit more there. Oh, I don't even think I caught that last bit bit with the response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like not getting through. It's just not. It's. It's Charlene, and I think they are really trying to play her up as dumb this season and possibly like last season. Mm -hmm. So I think they're trying to make her really dense, but I just don't believe she'd be that dense. Like a Phoebe. Correct. Mm -hmm. She's funny, but I just think it's it's unfair to her. Yeah. There was she's is like a sensitive person. Yeah. Yeah. She would know that she's supposed to be reading something into this. Yeah. Anyhow. Putting that to the side. Uh, there were also some cut lines between Mary Jo and Daryl. Um like you said, sort of like leading up to a little bit more of a romantical sort of interlude between the two of them. Uh, they were discussing not having chemistry and him trying to convince her that even without chemistry, everything else they have, they're still doing better than 75% of marriages. And when I read all those cut lines in context of the rest of the episode, it actually helped me understand Mary Jo's yes a little bit more. Mm. Um, it felt like a really hard no and then a sudden yes, which mm. just felt okay. like... I know she has a history of being kind of um, weak and like giving in to people or whatever, but that felt, mm, I don't know about that. Right. Um, there was more discussion, not a ton, but like a little bit more. Okay. So I think that was the only stray. Uh, I have, I have a stray about costumes, but I think that's about it for me. Okay. So Mary Jo and Daryl defined old and decrepit as age 35, like I a just, bullet to my heart. I just have ignored that so many times. <laughs> oh, I, I'm like, I can't stop thinking about it <laughs> just keep also, like skimming past it, it i don't know if at 27 i thought because that's what they're like oh we were 27 um i don't know if at 27 i thought 35 was old and decrepit probably because i was like i'm gonna be there before i know it so don't want to be saying those things at 27 18, you feel a little maybe. bit yeah at 27 you feel like you're just a hop skip and a jump away from 30 and I, 35 isn't that far from 30 some of the words that I regret more than any is when I looked at someone when I was 19 who was a friend of mine and like, you know, I was in the, in the restaurant industry. So you were just friends with people of all ages, you know. And Depending on what you said, we'll know if you were a real friend or not. Well, and they were to, <laughs> and they were about, they just turned 27. We were like celebrating their birthday and I was like, getting up there, aren't we? And it will haunt me till my dying day. So just listen How to old me. were they? I'm sorry. Tw- they were turning 27. Oh, that's rough. And I was 19. That's rough. And that to me felt like, like that was like, you were just walking a fine line. But also on brand for a 19 year old. Totally. But yeah. I, what I, like, 
What I would say, and I heard someone saying something super rude at the grocery store, like not realizing it the other day, like Uh the person checking out and the person like bagging the groceries and not super rude, just very ageist, you know? And I was like laughing because I almost cracked a joke like, well, is she fucking hobble out to my car, (laughs) you know? And, but then I decided like to pull it back, you know, because that sounded like a joke my mom would make. No offense, mom. Well, you are 38. (laughs) And I know, right? Old enough to be cracking jokes that aren't funny to the 16-year-olds. But anyways, like, um, I just want to take every person that age by the shoulders and be like, don't say it because you will live to regret the words. And that's the lesson. Yeah. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. It creeps up on you faster than you know. That and the lesson of, do you really want to be the 19-year-old that doesn't understand pop culture before the year you were born? You and I, this is like a real point, a sticking point for you and me. But I had a similar interaction at the grocery store where they were talking about, it was Ninja Turtles or something. Like, it wasn't the most obscure thing. And this 18-year-old was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That must have been in the 80s. And I was just like, you could just educate yourself a little bit yeah, and not sound so ignorant. Yeah. I hate that so much. Also, like, have you not looked around the world today? Yeah. And so, because yeah. there's, like, been 18 reboots. Um, and it wasn't exactly the Ninja sure, Turtles, but it was something. something they probably should have known. Yeah. So you either, there are like different kinds of teenagers and some of them make really obnoxious jokes about age, which I think we've all done. And some of them act stupid. Yeah. Don't act, don't be the act stupid one. Yeah. Just learn. Listen to our podcast and learn about designing women. Absolutely. And I can't tell you just the oodles and oodles. Oodles and noodles. Of Gen Zers who are like, oh yeah, I love me some designing women. But there just are a you few. Wait. But there are a few. Where are you Gen Zers? Let me know. Uh, yeah, well, because I love Gen Z. I yeah. want to be super clear about that. I love them. Oh, I'm not doing the whole like generation on generation yeah. angsty. What I don't care. I'm getting old. I know it. It's fine. We don't have to hate. We can love. I we think love. they're going to change the world, and I feel really strongly that we need to protect oh, them. Uh, that's nice. How but don't be stupid. You. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be good. It's uh, gonna be good. Uh, okay, so um, uh, speaking of strays, blah, like blah. the stray we just had, look here. Uh, I'm going to go back to another stray, which is something that I was thinking about while preparing for this episode, uh, is like one of the concepts is this like people selling history versus caring about history. Julia specifically talks about turning historical homes into theme parks, etc. So that put me on the hunt to see like, so Pam Norris wrote this episode. Was there something bubbling up in the news at the time that inspired this one? I couldn't really find anything from then, but I did find a 2019 Washington Post article. And I don't, the larger purpose of the article isn't as important. I mean, I find it interesting, but I won't take everyone down my museum path. But thank you. There was a, um, I almost gave you a thumb. I know, I saw that. A thumb. Uh, A curator was quoted on historical homes and spoke to having to decide between authenticity and storytelling. They could use an authentic piece of furniture, but it's really beat up and it looks terrible. Or they could get a reproduction that's in good condition and then that provides a better idea of what it would have actually looked like in a given time period. But it wouldn't have been in color. What? Because the world was black and white back then. Oh, okay. That's not really what it looked like. Yes, absolutely. So, But that was something that had like never really occurred to me before. But that makes total sense. Also, just in thinking about the historical homes piece, 
and related to like them bouncing through these homes in the antebellum garb. Mm-hmm. Are we, the general we, partially responsible then for some of our worst Southern stereotypes persisting? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that Mary Jo looks like little Bo Peep, who she plays in Toy Story? Oh, she does. That's a great observation. And then, of course, Julia looks like Scarlett O'Hara, which I think was intended as well. Yeah. This uh, stance she's taking. I'm showing Selena pictures now. This stance she's taking on the, like, balcony area of Uh her house in a very hoop skirty dress. But I know that wasn't intentional. I know Mary Jo, or um, her looking like little Bo Peep was not intentional, but she That is uncanny. It is uncanny. I didn't think about that at all. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Maybe somebody did see it. Look at her. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe. Look at little Bo Peep. Can I do you have more strays or could I sidebar us for a second? If I haven't sidebarred us enough. You please sidebar. Let's uh, do it. Let's sidebar. It's a sidebar. Snicky. Sidebar. She's got a keyboard looking for a reward by digging deep in the obscure. Taking us on a detour. What you got? Nikki. In Snicky. Sidebar. Just enough time that passes that I forget what those sound like. It will never not thrill me. So good. So in all the time we've been doing this podcast, I don't think we've actually dedicated time to talking about Villa Marie, which is how it's pronounced. That is the Designing Women House. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not anything substantial that I recall. So about a year ago, it was a year ago, Selena, that listener Colleen emailed us because she visited on a trip with her mom. That's right. Hi, Colleen. Hi, Colleen. I know it was a year ago because I went back in our email because she sent us some pictures at the time. I would have thought um, that was 14 and one half years ago. Really? Because <laughs> I would have thought it was like two months ago. Oh, time. Time has no Weird. meaning. Yeah. Uh, so since we had the episode sort of all about the house in, in the Designing Women show, I thought, let's finally just talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about it. So this sidebar was going to get really long. So I'm actually going to cut out sort of a sidewinder story about the people who built Villa Marie, and I'm going to leave that for our Patreon friends. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about both Villa Marie, but then actually the, the point was to talk about Atlanta homes that are historic. Okay. So we're also going to talk about that. Okay. So buckle up, friends. Uh, so we've all talked about the fact, actually, I should say, Villa Marie is not located in Atlanta. That's right. Uh, they Sorry. say it's in Atlanta. You okay? Yeah. Got a okay. little itch. They say it's in Atlanta for the show, but actually it's located in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, so it was actually built in 1881 by Angelo and Jeannie Marie at 1321 Scott Street in Little Rock. So Marie amassed a fortune in the, quote, liquor and saloon business. Ooh. Uh, and that's what he used to build the home. I bet you he did. Uh, so building Villa Marie took a year, and its initial worth was estimated at $5,000. $5,000. As our Patreon listeners just heard, Angelo only got to live in it for a handful of years before he died of blood poisoning in 1889. Jenny lived there until she died in 1904. According to an article I read, after their deaths, it was used as a nursing home, a rental property, a dance studio, and an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting facility before it was condemned by the city in 1964. Well, now that's irony. What's that? Well, it was the saloon money oh. that put them in, and then that's they true. rehabbed that's true. the saloon attendees. Thank you, Angelo. 
Um, so at the last minute before it could be torn down, the owner sold the house for $11,550 to the owner of a successful furniture company who then spent two years renovating it and then sold it to an organization dedicated to historic preservation. It was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1970, and ultimately it became a private home in 2002. Most recently, it was purchased in 2019 by attorney and former Arkansas General Assembly member Steve Harrelson. As far as I can tell, it was listed for sale in 2017 at almost a million dollars. It was removed from the market and relisted a few months later for $675,000. Um, it finally sold a year later for $463,000. So a million, 600, 400. So like steadily going down. Uh, I did just a smidge more digging because I was like, holy crap, that's a huge drop in price. I do think they parceled up the property a little bit and sold one segment of the property and then sold the house. So that accounts for some of it. Mm -hmm. But also Harrelson said it needed like a ton of work and it was going to be a huge project for him. So I honestly just think he haggled the price down a little bit. In terms of the house itself, um, I found a few sources that said it is a high-style Italianate house, two stories in height with a flared mansard roof and a a two-and-a-half-story tower set above its entry, which is built of painted brick. According to real estate listings, the house has huge oversized rooms, two parlors, dining rooms, large vintage kitchen, sweeping staircase, one-and-a-half baths, and three bedrooms. Wow. So... That's Villa Marie. And if it isn't in Atlanta, does that mean there aren't any historic homes in Atlanta, Selena? What? <laughs> there are historic just, homes in Atlanta. You just broke my brain. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, I want to say no, but no. I'm like, I'm now pretty I'm sure, sure I've been. I almost worked at a historic home in Atlanta, but now I'm confused. There are a lot. And there are actually some older than that house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I found a top 10 article on Explore Atlanta. Uh, that I'll link to kind of the full article in the show notes, but I'll limit this to the top five oldest houses on that list. Okay. Because I'm generous like that. Uh, I also feel like there's maybe one other house that's not included on that list that was built in 1840, but I genuinely couldn't figure out if this place is still standing or not. Okay. It's called the Joseph Willis House. So it's possible that that should be on my list and it's not, but I can't figure out if it's still around. Hmm. So. Okay. Um, And then... If people are nice, we might do a little bit of a spooky segment related to this closer to Halloween. Oh, be nice. Be nice. (laughs) (laughs) So the first home on our list is the Joel Chandler Harris home or Wren's Nest or Snap Bean Farm. That's where I almost worked. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Because it's a museum now. Uh, A historical home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a Queen Anne style house located at 1050 Ralph D. Abernathy Boulevard Southwest in Atlanta. It was built sometime around 1870 by Atlantan George Muse, who owned a clothing store that operated in Atlanta for more than 100 years. I lived there. At the clothing store? Muse's. Oh, well, there you go. It's all coming together, isn't <laughs> it? It sure is. Glad you're here. What do you have next? I'm glad you're here. Um The home was ultimately purchased by Joel Chandler Harris, who was the editor of the Atlanta Constitution, and as I think we've talked about here before, the author of the Uncle Remus Tales. That's correct. Uh, He started renting the home in 1881 and then ultimately bought it two years later with the money that he earned from the Uncle Remus stories. He lived there until his death in 1908. He added a few new rooms and completely overhauled the facade of the home, leaving it with the Queen Anne style it has today. So it originally didn't look like it does today. He remodeled it. Around 1900, he added indoor plumbing, electricity, and a furnace. 
the house became known. So they called it Snap Bean Farm when they first moved there because it was still kind of like farmland back in the 1800s. Sure. Even though today it's like in the heart of downtown. Um, it became known as the Wren's Nest in 1900 after the Harris children found a wren had built a nest in the mailbox. They built, Simple. They built a whole new mailbox just to leave the nest undisturbed. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Uh, so like you said a minute ago, the house operates as a museum now. Or like I said, I said that. You didn't say that. You said historical. It's a, it's a cool house. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It looks really beautiful. So the second house on my list, so this would be the fourth oldest house that I'm going to talk about today, is the G.W. Collier house. This house is so old, some people have even mistaken it as the oldest house in Atlanta, but it's not. Uh, it's actually, there are three older houses on my list. Uh, it was built in 1868, which is 12 years later than even the next home. So um, it's definitely not the oldest. It still stands today in the Ansley Park neighborhood of Atlanta at 1649 Lady Marion Lane. Uh, it's believed that Wash Collier or George George Washington Collier built it after a house his father had built in the 1820s experienced severe damage, probably during the summer of 1864. Wash owned a grocery store in the Little Five Points area of Atlanta, and eventually he became the city's first postmaster. Oh, okay. I was waiting for you to be like, seven onda. And I was going to be like, oh, I've shot this. <laughs> I don't know about that. I read about him. So the postmaster is basically the guy in charge of the mail. And Wash would make a once a week trip up to Roswell, I think it was, um, by <laughs> foot. Like 10 days. <laughs> by foot. There. Oh, my gosh. By foot. Nope. And um, he would Our do pets. it regardless of the weather. Wow. Um, well, that's kind of their thing. It is. As a result, he is uh, known as one of Atlanta's best-known citizens in the 19th century. He was kind of just really influential in Atlanta at that time. Uh, between himself... If you see me looking down, it's because I'm sneakily Googling looking really him quick. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, between himself and his brothers, they owned hundreds of acres of land along Peachtree Road. Oh, how nice for them. And how his family sold off that land, a process that began in about 1890, 1890 hugely influenced Peachtree Road, which is the segment from 14th Street to uh, W. Wesley Road. Uh, hugely influenced the way that piece of land looks today. Oh, huh. Okay. Uh, Wesley Road is named for Collier's brother, Wesley. Isn't that cool? Anyway, the house was owned by Wash's family until after World War II. It's one of of Atlanta's few structures to survive the Reconstruction era. It was preserved and restored by the noted architect R. Kennan Perry uh, in 1952 to 1953, and it's one of the earliest examples of modern historic preservation in the city. Interesting. The next house on the list is Meadow Nook, a Greek Revival-styled home built in 1856. It's located at 2420 Alston Drive in the East Lake neighborhood in DeKalb County. It is one of only a couple antebellum homes still standing in their original locations within the city limits. Med- <laughs> this next sentence, hearing that within the city limits, makes this next part a little bit of a brain break. Meadow Nook was the country home of Lieutenant Colonel Robert Augustus Alston and his wife. Um, they were both of Georgetown County, South Carolina. Robert Alston was a journalist and a legislator who was murdered at the Georgia State Capitol in 1879 as a result of his ongoing exposés of the abusive convict labor leasing system. Oh. Oh. Uh, as far as I can tell, I know there's there's a story there. The house is privately owned, um, so I couldn't get like tons of specifics about the inside of the house. I wouldn't have thought that that was... That old. That old. Yeah. I think that about a lot of the houses on yeah. this list. They really don't look that old. Well, it's probably because a lot of people are hearkening back to this kind of style. Sort of like the farmhouse style. And I get confused. Yeah. yeah. 
pretty though. So I found a photo tour um, from a few years ago in AJC, which I've linked in the show notes for folks to look at. Um, this last bit was just interesting to me. One source indicated that it sold in 1994, it last sold in 1994 for $77,000. It is worth over 700000 today, according to like Zestimates. I actually think it's probably worth a whole lot more than that. Sure. Well, priceless, really. Priceless. That's what I say. Uh, so the same year that Meadow Nook was built, 1856, the Lemuel P. Grant Mansion was also oh, built. No, I'm never going to be able to spell that. <laughs> Just It's linked in the show notes, Selena. Oh, I <laughs> It is the other of only a few antebellum homes still standing in their original locations within the Atlanta city limits. Um, this is where that house I mentioned at the top of the segment that I can't substantiate, that's where that's relevant. Because if that one's still standing, these were the only three antebellum homes still standing okay. um, in the city. Uh, so this house lives on St. Paul Avenue between Broyles and Grant Street in the Grant Park neighborhood of Atlanta. So it was owned by Lemuel P. Grant, who was a railroad man, a major landowner, and a civil leader in Atlanta during this time. He donated the land for Grant Park, which is named after him. Ah. The mansion is a three-story Italianate style, so similar to Villa Marie, with, a ten- with ten-foot windows, nine fireplaces, and a ballroom. During the Civil War, it served as a Confederate hospital, but Union troops didn't burn it down because they found Masonic items, um, and they had been directed not to disturb homes affiliated with the Freemasons, which also feels like there's something there that we should look into at some point. Oh, my. I I agree. Notably, golfer Bobby Jones was born in the home in 1902. Okay. He went on to found Augusta National, where the Masters is held every year, which you know is a sweet spot for the last house on my list, I swear I'm coming to the end because I'm getting like a glazed look. Are you kidding me? This is my, this is my jam. It's, it's, it's a weakness, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I was, so I was actually going to comment and say that this is a real sleeper home for me because not like a sleeper cell, mm-hmm. like a sleeper, like I am looking at this and I would not, they're calling it a mansion. And it's like, there's so many Atlanta houses. You see just the front and it doesn't look like much, but then you go inside and you're like, Whoa, this one has a ballroom and nine fireplaces. (laughs) Exactly. And that's the vibe I'm getting from this one. So the last one on the list is the oldest house on my list. It's the Tully Smith house. It was built in 1840. This one ekes in on the list on a technicality because it actually originally sat outside city limits, Um, but it was eventually moved to Buckhead four miles away. So it it, uh, originally was off North Druid Hills, moved four miles away to Buckhead uh, to the campus of the Atlanta History Center. So it is now the oldest home in Atlanta, just not originally standing in Atlanta. Okay. Um, so it was originally built as a family home just off North Druid Hills, like I said. It is the quote, this is according to an AJC article, the epitome of a Georgia plantation plantation plain style home with weatherboard siding, a gable shed style roof, masonry chimneys, interior boarded walls to match the outside and classically cased window trim and doors. Okay. The Atlanta History Center website adds that the house has a two-story front and a one-story rear. Um, It's an I house, meaning it's two rooms wide, one room deep, and two stories high. The detached kitchen located behind the house was constructed around the same time as the house itself. Okay. You know what this kind of puts me in the mind of is the area they have set up. They used to have set up at Stone Mountain, and it would kind of, and um, you could go around and you could see all of the different buildings. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me a lot of that because I guess this is part of the Smith Farms. That's and, right. Okay. That's right. They want you to get kind of the full experience. Yeah. 
Uh, so the home was built and owned by Robert Hiram Smith, who came to Atlanta Hiram. by Hiram. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, that's in Georgia, y'all. <laughs> by way of Rutherford County, North Carolina. He moved here around 1830 and settled in DeKalb County. I don't actually know if there's a tie between him and Hiram, Georgia, oh, okay. um, but that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe. He was a farmer. Uh, he had somewhere between 11 and 19 enslaved people who lived on his property and worked about 200 of his 800 acres of land for farming. Robert and his wife Elizabeth lived there until about 1875 when he died and she moved away. They left ownership of the house to their daughter, Tully, the Tully Smith house, um, until she died in 1967. So throughout the 1960s, Tully was worried about what was going to happen to this house because development in that area, which was the North Druid Hills area of Atlanta, was kind of sneaking toward the house. And she was really worried, but she actually didn't make any plans for it. So after she That's died. How I worry. Huh? That's how I worry. Just not doing anything? Yeah. I'm like, no. oh, this is, I'm worried. I'll just sit here. Yeah, I just like, I like to. It's my comfortable place. Marinate in it. It's my comfortable place. This is going to get bad. (laughs) After she died, though, whoever was left in her family gave it to the Atlanta History Center, and then it was quickly thereafter moved to its current location, which I said was in Buckhead. Uh, The move is fascinating to read about. I think it's mentioned in one of the show note articles that I link. Uh, Basically, they had to separate the first floor from the second floor Uh, uh, and move it on a truck. Uh, I would be so nervous. For sure. So there are several more houses on the list. And like I said, I have a spooky segment, which is going to talk about a couple of these houses, but I'm going to take advantage of some of the other historic buildings and houses in Atlanta for that segment. Spooky, spooky. (laughs) I love spooky season. (laughs) She's smiling at me, so she's being nice, which means we'll do it. Oh, yay. (laughs) I was nice. So then in my sidebar, obviously I like old houses. What do you like about this episode of Designing Women, Selena? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to ask me, like, what's my favorite historic home? What's your favorite old house in Atlanta? Well, I was just real quickly, and I'm going to pop into um, what I like, but for whatever reason, I expected Rhodes Hall to be on your list. I have no idea. Spooky. Oh, yay. It's not as old as these houses are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Look at you. You know everything about Atlanta now. I'll forget in six months, but... Uh, I wouldn't give it the full six. (laughs) Six minutes. You're right. But for today, (laughs) uh, we don't have to rehash all of this. I just wanted to say that everything about Anthony's well-placed sarcasm in this episode was appreciated by me. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. So I just want to give that a shout out again. And I think it's hilarious that today that woman's name is Karen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that ran all the tours. I'm like, yeah, yeah okay, that's true. Was, I'm like, was this the Karen? I, anyways, just, I don't think we talk enough about mm-hmm. how Anthony was so critical to this show. Like, we oftentimes get comments on social media where people say that Delta Burke and Suzanne really carried the show. Anthony is such a critical piece of the show, especially in moments like this. And so many of his lines were sarcastic and well placed, and just hit right. Yeah, I'm also thinking about taking the, um, oh, what did he say? Hold on, I think it, uh, I don't think so, perhaps some other <laughs> time, say right before we go ice skating in hell, but thank you so much for thinking of me. I'm thinking about taking that one to work. I like that. Yeah, so if you hear that come out, just know Anthony inspired it. <laughs> Great. What do you like? Uh, Suzanne had some takes on several things that I really appreciated. Okay. Her take on men being waxed and mm. how they scream about hundreds of tiny little hairs being ripped out of their bodies mm-hmm. and how ridiculous that is and distracting for her spa experience. Yeah. 
uh, and her quote about history. Personally, I don't enjoy history. People said I should learn it because history repeats itself. If it repeats itself, why should I pay attention the first time? While, while you're talking about her, I want to throw in one more, which is like, okay, we've talked about her facial expressions and just how good they are. <coughs> when um, Karen, Karen walks through and smacks her with her fan to get her to move <laughs> off the couch is amazing. I um, thought her so facial good. expression when Julia came down the stairs in costume was really good. I thought that's what you were going to say. She, oh, I have thoughts about that too. Glorious. Yeah, I think, well, so, and that's a really good um, kind of segue to everything with the tour of homes I actually thought was pretty delightful. Mm-hmm. So, because I don't, the show is not like, oh, this is wonderful. The show is definitely poking at, at all of this, I think. Um a lot of it for me stems from getting to see Julia react to things that she clearly hates. One of them in my mind is playing second fiddle to someone else, especially in Mm -hmm. her own home. Mm -hmm. So in this case, Karen asks her to put on some kind of outfit. She comes down the stairs in a servant's outfit. This is what you're talking about with Suzanne's look on her face. I want to go back actually and watch the episode so I can see Suzanne's face because whose face I was watching was Julia's, which Um, was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to kick everybody's ass. (laughs) That's what it looked like. Uh, Rude people is another thing. I think Julia doesn't really uh, dig on too much in this case. The people who are in her home, these complete strangers. My favorite one is the smoking tourist. He tells Julia he didn't see any smoking signs. And she says, well, just look at my face. And I, that just, just her whole, like, face shaky, angry attitude. She is mad. I really understand it is all I'm saying. It's big mad. Did you have anything else? The last thing I'll say is I really liked the interaction between Mary Jo and Suzanne. Um, after she told, after Mary Jo told Suzanne her situation with Daryl was, quote, too complicated. And so then she proceeded to tell this really complicated situation to Charlene. And Suzanne's like, excuse me? I just thought that whole interaction was really delightful. It was good. Suzanne was just like, don't leave me out. What the heck? <laughs> I just thought that was great. Um yeah, that was really funny and all very true to the characters, I think, too. I also, I have to say that my other favorite part was Julia losing her mind at the very end of it all and going yeah. on a total rant and then everyone applauding, yeah. applause, applauding because they thought that it was part of the tour of <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And you already talked about Charlene's Yiddish. Mm-hmm. 101 that we got throughout the episode but i i thought i thought i thought it was funny and i liked her bend on it which i like new things this seems fun anyway so i was actually going to do a yiddish 101 quiz and i ran out of time so you're oh. welcome yeah so things we didn't like i th- i think we've talked about a few things sort of at the top of the episode and i'll just double down on the storyline with mary joe and her best friend i just really didn't like that it was awkward. It was forced. It was yeah. tied up too neatly. He has no feelings for her, but he proposed marriage anyway. She says no, and he just walks away. Like, it was all just really weird. Yeah. And the fact that they centered this as the A plot was a little weird to me. But, you know, it, it's just underbaked and a real nothing burger for a season premiere. Yeah. So I think what I, again, don't write shows, don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But just go with me on this journey. If it were me, I would have preferred they made it 
the tour of homes, the main storyline, and just drop the whole other thing entirely. Yeah. We could have just spent more time in that world, which was a good time. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, if they wanted to do something with Mary Jo, and I d- believe that Mary Jo deserves more on this show mm-hmm. in terms of storyline, they could have kept the tour of homes as the A plot and then kind of played within that B plot Tighten the focus to just Mary Jo trying to figure out how to te- tell her son what the birds and the bees are. Yeah. And I think they could have made that really funny. Or they could have even, I mean, even the Daryl thing could have been an ongoing storyline or something. Like I said, it was just tied up too neatly. And as I'm watching this, as we've been watching the last few seasons, I think one of the things we've talked about a couple of times is how they almost have a... um they don't like the continuation storylines. They want things to wrap up in that 30 minutes. They're not trying to have a part A and a part B because uh, that's how they did sitcoms in the late 80s and early 90s. It just wasn't done that way. But it feels to me like this is when we could have revisited a couple of times throughout the season because, spoiler alert, they are going to talk a little bit about Mary Jo's love life in future episodes. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge part of the storyline of a single mom in her mid-30s is just like romantically, what is she doing? Right. I get that. That's natural. I understand that. But they could have even made this Daryl thing go on a little bit longer. Maybe don't focus so much on the proposal or not. Anyway, I think it was it was kind of a weird beginning to the season that just sort of ends. And now we're done. Yeah, and it's so funny, too, because so you're going to have 22, 26, 100 episodes, and you don't 24. want to, and you don't want to spend a little, like, let it breathe, guys. Right. Let it breathe. Yeah. Then you don't have to keep coming up with new crap. You can just explore that storyline a little bit longer and give us a little more gratification. But I'm not a story writer. You don't know what you don't know till you know it. You know? I know. That's what I always say. You want to rate this sucker? (laughs) Sure. Uh, My reading scale has a typo in it. So first I'm going to fix that. It is realistic (laughs) antebellum home tour costumes. Mm -hmm. And I gave it a four out of a five. I thought it was fine for the start of season five I really hope it's not the best they can bring this season uh but I think to your point the tour of homes piece of it that chunk of the episode was entertaining enough that like I would watch that again the Daryl Mary Jo stuff I'd probably fast forward through but the tour of homes stuff I would watch again yeah so I gave it three out of five fudge sickle sneezing babies (laughs) this is part of Julia's rant um I just didn't love this one it's it's another example of a couldn't we just do better episode for Mary Jo? Justy, Justy, justice for any pots. That's all I'm saying. Like, it's almost like they didn't know how to play to her strengths. Mm-hmm. And if, if this had just been the tour of homes to your point, I think I would have rated it higher mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. And I also think too, perhaps the lesson here is that it feels like sometimes writers are like, we got to have a love story. Mm-hmm. Don't. Don't. We just want to laugh. That's yeah. all we want to do. It's Sometimes it's nice if it's natural and it makes sense. Yeah, and if there's a conclusion that's, like, um, acceptable. Yeah. Like, we got the Charlene um, storyline of finding love and falling in love and getting married. Which took time. Which took time. Mary Jo and JD was always just, like, fits and starts. Mm-hmm. Reese and Julia, um is not conclusive in my opinion and I have more thoughts about that later this season but it fits and starts you never really get a full true honest to goodness he's more off screen than on screen right it's like acting or something (laughs) 
another life. (laughs) Oh, what you got things to do. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a little bit of a slow start in my mind for the season, but you know what? We got 23 more episodes to really kick it into high gear. So there you go. Nineties things. Uh, Mary Jo's comment about making it through the whole summer without buying a thong bathing suit. That's something she says at the very beginning of the episode. Uh, it was less about a thong bathing suit as a thing and more about a, a thong bathing suit as something she'd have to intentionally avoid, which made me feel like maybe it was having some sort of mainstream moment at this point in time or something. I think that's right. I uh, have it on the, as a 90s reference. It feels like heyday. I did a light dive. I learned oh. the thong swimsuit was invented in the 70s, mm-hmm. and thong underwear hit the mainstream in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. I actually, I would just also argue, though, like the standard cut on a bikini now is like, here's four and a half inches of each of your butt cheeks, and I don't really understand what's happening. I I'm myself, 38. I haven't worn a b- bikini in 10 years. I myself like the full butt cheek covers. <laughs> Leave something to the imagination, you know? Um, just randomly lighting up a cigarette in some stranger's house. Mm-hmm. I want to be clear, that feels rude in any decade. Like, look up, look around, make sure. I'm a former smoker. You know, you see people smoking in their home. Oh, wonderful. Great. Pull out the cigarettes. But, I mean, otherwise, like down but this does feel like the last decade where that was gonna happen yeah using shower water as a water pick that actually was I feel like a thing that was happening in the 90s as a potential beauty whatever and then Vanna White not saying she she's for every decade but Vanna Speaks is actually something that came out around that time her book and she is Southern. She grew up in North Myrtle Beach. She attended the Atlanta School of Fashion Design, and she, and she became one of the area's top models. And I do feel like, as I see you looking at your notes, you might have had this in references. Did I steal something from you? I put it in references we need to talk about, but counted it as a Southern reference plus reference we need to talk about. Uh, all that is true. She just goes everywhere. I'll add. Uh, she was also, This book was also mentioned on an episode of Golden Girls. Oh, look at that. Do you think they were purposely promoting it? I don't know. Maybe. It, it came out in 1987, so it was a couple years behind. Oh, okay. Uh, would have been the nicest way to speak about it if they were purposely I promoting think that's it. right. Maybe I, it was making some sort of weird splash. I think it was making a splash. It includes, uh, the book itself includes um, things about, like, her touching relationship with her mother, and then, like, a really sad story of losing her fiancé in a plane crash in the mid-80s. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's very sad. God. Sounds like a good book, though. Well, maybe that's something to put on the list. Maybe you think something. they have that at your local library? I don't. It's been a couple of weeks since I looked into it. I actually don't think they do. Mm-hmm. I think I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Well, look at you. I think it's, it's kind of hard to find now. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, though. I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure it was hard to find. Southern things? I got nothing now. <laughs> So it's like one of those things where the whole episode was Southern. So, cause it's all about antebellum period. So how do you unpack the, mm. yeah. Uh, well, but you did it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and proceed. <laughs> Just that you're right. I mean, the whole subplot is a Southern reference. They're talking about the civil war. They're talking about Sherman's March. They're talking about me making noises where it's going to be impossible to remove that out of the audio. You're welcome. You know, the period costumes. Mary Jo uses the term skedaddle, which I just think is the Skedaddle. most, it's the most Southern thing. 
There's a lot of Gone with the Wind, like winks in this one. Belle Watley, she's a, uh, she's actually a more of a minor character, but I mean, definitely someone who's familiar with any of that. You know who Belle Watley is. As God is my witness is something that Scarlett says. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn is probably one of the most iconic lines in all of film history from Rhett Butler. And then uh, there's a mention of Scarlett's hissy fits somewhere in the episode as well. And then Daryl is from North Carolina. References we need to talk about? References we need to talk about. Uh, Vanna Speaks was one. Uh, and then I have the guest stars, but I kind of want to let you do that one because I know that's in the segment in the section for you too. Oh, I don't have to. No, I don't. You take one, I'll take the other. Well, I'm going to take the fun one. <laughs> Good, take it. <laughs> it's Marianne Mobley who played Karen. Yeah, I feel silly after learning about her that I knew nothing about her. So. Yeah, yeah. So she was a former Miss America from Biloxi, Mississippi. She actually took over Dixie Carter's role on different strokes. Um, when Dixie Carter left to join this. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, and okay. then she joined uh, for this episode. Uh, she died in 2014. I thought this was just a cute little story, and you may have more to add, but Designing Women Online says that Delta Burke asked Marianne Mobley to bring her Miss American Miss America crown to the set so she could wear it during rehearsals uh, because it had always been a dream of hers to wear the Miss America crown. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that funny. delightful. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I I mean, I, I guess if we're going to talk about the Miss America piece, I do, you know, she is most known for being one of the few winners to find success in acting. And she had a stint on Broadway, starred opposite of Elvis in a few movies. She won a Golden Globe in 1965 for being the most promising newcomer. So not just someone they were like randomly using because mm-hmm. of her notoriety or whatever. Like mm-hmm. she really was good. I don't know that we got to see that in this particular episode. I was going to say, I was surprised to read that she had actual roles mm-hmm. because this wasn't. I just think it was like a really, like. This wasn't it. it yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a really, um, it's like a random guest star role. I don't know, unless it's Meryl Streep coming in here. I don't know anybody's going to do something special with that. It's like a throwaway role. It also yeah. felt stilted. Like her lines felt stilted oh. to me. Her delivery felt stilted. So I assumed she got this because she had been Miss America and made friends with someone somewhere. Massive assumption on my part. I take it back entirely, which is why we don't make assumptions. But yeah, I I watched the episode the first time and I was like, ah. As any one of the movie podcasts I listened to would say, they made a choice. Mm -hmm. They made an acting choice. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was an acting choice. I'm not sure. Uh, I also just wanted to say too, like she's, it's, she seems like a serious person. Not, you know, she winds up becoming a distinguished documentary filmmaker. She focused on homelessness and starvation in different countries. And she was also active in the March of Dimes and the United Cerebral Palsy Association. So look at that. We just, we came at it from all different angles. She's, she was a complex individual. Yeah. Very immobile. So Daryl is played by Christopher Tabori. His dad was Don Siegel. Did you look into him at all? Uh, only so far as to write down that he did a lot of voiceover work for Star Wars related video games. We literally went at both of these people from completely different <laughs> angles. Um, it shows our interests. Uh, or where we're looking, I think is what it is. 
probably just two different places. Because I think if I had read that, I would have like included it. Mm. Yeah. So uh, his so I focused on his dad, who is a pretty famous director. He did lots of Clint Eastwood movies, including Dirty Harry. And his mom was a Swedish actress. So I also remember reading he was partly Swedish, which is why his name is spelled that way. And I pronounce it so beautifully. Like, the, like Frozen's Christopher. Ah, there you go. Christoph. Yeah, I can't say it. All these, uh, my last reference, this has nothing to do with the actors or anything, is Julia in her diatribe at the very end, she names about a million drinks and other frozen treats. And that just really stood out to me. Oh, And so I'm just real quick. I'm going to go down through them. I'm going to name them and see if you can tell me where they're from. Okay. Okay. Like the store you would buy it from. I'm sure I won't be able to, but go for it. I don't know. Big gulp. 7-Eleven. Slurpees. Slurpee, Slurpee, Slurpee. Kmart. (laughs) I'm everywhere. (laughs) School. Remember the Slurpee machine, I think. Anyway, you tell me. It's also 7-Eleven. Oh, okay. Uh, I, so I feel like we can't know there's so few 7-Elevens here. <laughs> <laughs> Misty's? Flashback. Misty's. Mm-hmm. I don't know that one. So I only knew a Mr. Misty, but that's uh, Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen, okay. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like their slushy, except oh. in the Misty, they put in the... Uh, the um, Froyo? Yeah. Mm, soft serve. Soft serve. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then Frosties. Oh, Wendy's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just to show the difference of like the kinds of things that will take you down rabbit holes. I'm not sharing any of this, but just between just between us and anyone listening, like I'm not sharing any of the facts, but I bet you I read about frozen treats for one hour. 7-Eleven cornered the market is what I'm hearing. They sure did. Yeah. There's like a whole history of it. I think I've linked to it in the show notes if anybody is interested about that history. It is kind of like an American, like, iconic beverage and all of, like, all of that. Like, it's just kind of Like the frozen drink, you mean? Mm -hmm. Mm. It's just sort of written into the fabric. I mean, people just, it's almost the way, like, anything else that's iconic like that. Like, if you're using Windex, most people aren't, I'm using glass spray. I'm using, you know, so kind of written Mm -hmm. into the fabric that way. And its startup is pretty interesting. And Southern, I believe, because it's actually Texas, mm. I think. So, anyways, that's all for me. Gotta find ways to cool down. Yeah. So, next episode, Season 5, Episode 2, Papa Was a Rolling Stone. I don't know why that was so hard for me to say. Is it because you wanted to sing the song? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV, TikTok at Sweet Tea TV Pod, uh, YouTube at Sweet Tea TV seven three seven one. What's up, Selena? Got a reaction over there. Just that this is actually the tough part. Oh, <laughs> email Sweet Tea TV Pod at gmail.com. Maybe that's why I already started tripping over my words. You're, just, I don't know. you're preparing mentally. <laughs> And our website is www.sweettv.com. Like Selena said at the top of the show, there are several ways to support the show. Uh, first and foremost, you can tell your family and friends about us. Anyone you think might like a Designing Women or now a 90s podcast, uh, go ahead and tell them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Uh, the ratings and the reviews help people find us easier. And then if you visit our website, uh, there's a support us tab where you can find other ways to support us. <laughs> So come back Thursday for Extra Sugar, where we're going to talk about 
90s nostalgia. See, we're a 90s podcast now. That's right. We sure are. Look, I did that just for that. <laughs> you did We that. weren't actually talking about 90s nostalgia. We were going to talk about something completely different. And I was like, but let's make it. this flow. That's how Selena works. She just pulls this crap out of her butt. And you know what that means, y'all. What does it mean, Selena? It means we'll see you around the bend. Bye.